may be seated. Our sermon text today is taken from Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14 through Hebrews 5, verse 10. You'll recall from last week where we left off in verse 13 of chapter 4 that we read that no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if you have even the slightest touch of grasp on reality, that is a harrowing and horrifying verse. Because what it's saying is that all that we say, all that we do, all that we even think is laid bare before a holy God to whom we must make an account. You see, even the best of us fall miserably short of the standard of holiness that God has set for us and that we have seen in the person of Christ Jesus. And so we are reminded immediately that we are in desperate need of one to intercede for us, one to make intercession for us, one to make sacrifice for us, for us, one who is a great high priest. And indeed, that is exactly what we have in Christ Jesus, and that is what the author of the Hebrews reminds us today. So please follow along as I read now from the inspired word of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also... Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we realize our own weakness, our own 
folly, our own rebellion, as far too often we turn to sin instead of clinging to you and to your righteousness. We confess this to you today and we give thanks that we do have a high priest who makes atonement for our sin. We pray that you would indeed forgive us of our sin and conform us to the likeness of Christ Jesus. And during this time here today, we pray that that the truth of your word would descend upon us as dew descending sweetly upon the grass, as, as rain falling from the clouds or even snow drifting gently down upon us, covering us, making us white, as snow clean where once we had been sullied by sin. Speak to us today. Speak to us by your spirit through your word. Teach us what you would have us learn. Convict us of our sin. Conform us to Christ Jesus and cause us to worship you to glorify you, to magnify you, to make much of you for all honor and glory are due your name. It is in that name, the name of Christ Jesus, we ask it. Amen. I don't know about you guys. I I tend to be kind of nostalgic. I, I think that is something that's probably common in many of us. We We all remember in certain parts of life, whether it's uh, the the way life was in general or in certain areas, you know, the, the the way schools used to be or the way sports used to be or the way jobs, the way things used to be, how we just nostalgically remember how great it was. Oh, oh, if it could only be like it used to be. We tend to have a nostalgic mindset about things. And I guess I can understand that. We, we do, on the one hand, tend to kind of forget the bad parts and, and remember the good parts, and that adds to that nostalgia. But, but there are things that, that are good from the past that, that have been lost. And so we generally develop such a nostalgic mindset. And I suppose that could have been part of what these Christians to whom the author of the Hebrews was writing we're feeling uh, that nostalgia of days gone by, of, of how things used to be, about how neat it was to have a priest that they could see before them, a, a high priest that they could physically with their own eyes behold that would go up and offer sacrifice on their behalf, that they could, they could smell the sacrifices burnt and, and their senses were able to behold those things. And I can see where maybe a nostalgia had set in for them and they longed for those things, but what God is saying to them through the author of the Hebrews here and, and what he would have us here is that this sort of nostalgia is not just an innocent thing that one can have or not have. He's reminding them that to, to turn away from the truth that they had been given in Christ Jesus and to turn back to these other shadows and signs was not just misguided it was folly and it was sin and it was rebellion you see for for them to long to have this mediator before them that they could see that was offering these sacrifices on their behalf that was paving the way 
back to fellowship for people who had broken their fellowship with God is actually to look away from Christ, who is the one to whom all these things were supposed to point. The author of Hebrews says that this whole issue of a high priest is actually not not a reason to return to Judaism. It's actually the number one reason not to return to Judaism. He says the whole idea of a high priest, on the contrary, is why you want to stay and hold fast to your confession of Christ Jesus. Because he is a high priest for us. And not just an ordinary high priest, but a great high priest, the ultimate high priest. Since we have a great high priest, he tells us in verse 14, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We'll see verses 15 and 16 after this kind of fill in this that puts kind of meat on the bones of this statement. And then as I looked at it, I think chapter 5, those first 10 verses, kind of underlines and bold faces the whole truth again so it's kind of making a statement filling it in and then and then repeating it again with some other points that support it underneath and so we'll take a look at that but the main gist of what all of this says is that Jesus is our great high priest he is our great high priest I see for four reasons listed in this passage one he is our great high priest because he is incarnate as man Secondly, because he is independently holy. Third, because he intercedes for us. And then finally, because he is infinitely able. As we look at this with a high priest, we, we, we need to understand, first of all, what was, what was necessary of a high priest. For somebody to be a high priest, for somebody to occupy this role. And we see in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that's precisely what Jesus does, of course. He, he is our representative. He acts on our behalf and he offers gifts and sacrifices to God for us, sacrifice for our sin. And, and he is, as such, a high priest. But did you catch the very first part of that? It said every high priest chosen from among men, saying that, that he had to be a human being. He had to be incarnate as man in order to be our representative as a high priest. And so it was that Jesus is man. You see, we, we see in verse 14 that he is the son of God, but that's not all that he is. He has eternally been divine. He has eternally existed as God. But, but he came in flesh and blood. A real human being, a real man. That's what Christmas was all about, right? That he came and, and took up residence in the womb of a virgin. And was born a little baby. Helpless. Needing to be tended to, cared for, fed and changed needing to be raised up as any other little child needed to be. And he endured all the things that one endures as we were growing up. He he lived life just as all of us have. And we see in chapter 2, verse 18 of Hebrews, you'll remember we covered this passage a while back, it says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, 
he is able to help those who are being tempted. And today we see in verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. So he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was incarnate as man, because he experienced similar weaknesses. He experienced similar pain. He, he actually experienced them. He, he didn't just have some abstract knowledge of them. It's not just that, that Jesus was omniscient and so he understands all these things. He actually experienced them himself. I, I thought about it this way. If I were to study astronomy... I might learn a lot about how, how space works and how, how everything is. And I might have some concept of, of how the earth exists within our solar system, right? And, and I might have some understanding of that. But, but if I were to become an astronaut and I were to head off into space and I were to see that, that little blue marble against the dark backdrop of nothingness, it would forever change the way that I would see the earth. Now, now I could have learned all those things, reading about them, I could have studied them, that's all fine, but, but until I actually experienced that truth with my own eyes, with my own being, with my own heart, taking that in and observing it, it would not have been quite the same. And that's, that's what we're seeing here with Jesus, is he has, he has not just learned about or not just known intellectually what it means to be weak, but he, he experienced it by clothing himself in human flesh. And he was in every respect tempted as we are, we're told. Remember in the wilderness as he was, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry and tempted by the devil. He was tempted, but he resisted that temptation. The devil fleed from him at that time to look for a more opportune time to return he saw that temptation. He felt that temptation. He knew that temptation. He experienced it. And so he knows what it's like when we face temptation as well. And he faced all the weaknesses we face, really. Uh, you know, hunger and thirst and, and weariness and, and, and pain and loneliness and sorrow and grief and, and pain Grief, betrayal, he's experienced all of these things. And so he can help us in the midst of them. It is helpful for us to know these things are true of him as, as our God because we can find comfort in that. We've talked about that in past weeks, about how we find comfort in that. But, but as helpful as that is, it's, it's essential in his role as high priest that he have experienced these things. Because we see in Chapter 5, verse 2, the idea that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Literally, it's since he is clad with weakness, he's clothed with weakness. You see, Jesus clothed himself with weakness and so, so he can deal with us gently, understanding what it's like to be clothed in such weakness. I know sometimes I've coached both of my children in basketball, and, and there are times, to be honest with you, especially when they were younger, uh, that it's really hard. It's really, really hard because, because you tell these five, 
little boys or five little girls what they need to do. And it's really simple, you know, the, the, the two of you run this way and the two of you run this way and you go this way. And it's really simple. It's not hard. And then they go out there and they all go the wrong way. And, and it could be really easy for me at that time to lose my temper, to just be like, oh my goodness, to have no patience with them whatsoever. But I remember I was once a first grader, <laughs> starting out in basketball. <laughs> and, and I remember being a second grader, still not quite sure of myself where I was to go. And I can remember, you know, as, as I started out, I, I experienced this sense of, of going in the wrong direction. And, and I was supposed to go over here, and I didn't. I went over there instead. And, and so I understand their weakness because I've experienced that weakness. And so it is with Jesus having experienced our weakness. He gives us a priest who can sympathize with us. That's what they're longing for. They're longing for a a priest that can sympathize with them. But Jesus is the ultimate high priest who can sympathize with us. And so it is foolishness to turn away from him. Perhaps these Jewish Christians are thinking of turning away from him and turning back to Judaism out of fear for being ostracized. You know, because, let's face it, they're, they're kind of going against the flow. They're going in a, a different direction than the culture at large. It's not the way most of the people are going. Perhaps that's what they're fearful of. And perhaps we can find a point of contact there in our own culture, can't we? You know, it was once the case where we're generally on a Sunday morning, most people just went to church. That's what they did. But now that's not the case as much. Uh, It's less and less the case, and even more so in just the various morality and the, the way we live our life, less and less is the way of Christ becoming the way of the culture. And so we, we have a decision to make. We can either choose to follow Christ or choose to follow the world. And the reality is if we, if we choose to follow Christ, we will by and large be ostracized by the world. Much the same as these Jewish Christians face the potential ostracization of their culture. And so... We have to ask that question, what should we do? What, what will we do? Do we, do we have the, the courage? Do we have the strength? Do we have the ability to face a society, a culture that tells us we're wrong and be willing to stand firm and say, no, we will stand with Christ? Here's the encouraging thing for you. As we face being ostracized, as we are tempted to turn away from Christ, For fear of being ostracized, we can remember that we have in Jesus Christ a high priest who knows what it's like to be ostracized, who knows what it's like. He was ostracized completely. You see, because he was was left by his fellow man, left alone. He was not just left by his fellow man when he hung there on the cross by himself for you and for me, but even... His father, 
with whom he had experienced eternal fellowship of the closest kind for all of eternity. At that moment left Jesus experiencing the the judgment and the wrath and the punishment that we should have faced. So much so that Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was willing to be ostracized for us. And so it is that he has faced these same temptations that we face. And beyond that, the spirit that enabled him to stand tall in the face of such temptation, the spirit that enabled him to resist such temptation, the spirit that enabled him to maintain holiness in the face of temptation, not only dwelt in him, but it dwelt in us if we trust in him by faith. For it is the spirit of Christ that we have in us if we are his. And so we should remember that, and we should rejoice in the fact that we have a high priest who is incarnate as man. Secondly, we see that he was independently holy. We talked just a second ago here about how he had resisted temptation, how he, how he had not given into it, and, and that's important. We see in verse 3 of chapter 5, because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sons. It's talking about a, for his own sins, just as uh, he does for those of the people. He's talking about a high priest here normally had to offer those sacrifices. Remember when we studied in Leviticus uh, not too long ago. We, we looked at how the high priest would come and make atonement for the sins of the people. But before he did that, he had to make atonement for his own sins. He had to, had to take care of his uncleanness before he could deal with the uncleanness of the people. In order to come into the presence of God, he had to be made holy. But what we see here in verse 15 is we don't have a high priest, even though he, he is a high priest who, who uh, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way we have. But we see in verse 15 that he was tempted without sin. He was perfectly holy in and of himself. He doesn't need to be made clean for he is clean. He is righteous. He is pure. He is perfect in every way and so it is that that we can have paul say to us in second corinthians 5 that it is for our sake that god made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god you see the idea is that that great exchange that that switch of robes his righteous robes in exchange for our filthy rags i saw a tv show recently where where the plot line was such that somebody was trying to escape from some other people, and, and there was this, this plot, this plan that they came up with where, where this person and another person went into a room, and then when they came out and left, the, the people that were chasing them followed the wrong person. You see, they followed the wrong person because when they went into this room, the two people switched clothes. Okay, They switched outfits so that when they went in, the one person was wearing you know, a long coat, and, and a hat that was red, you know, and the other person was, was wearing a more casual outfit. And, and so they went in that way, and then they switched clothes, and then when they came out, they saw the person that they thought they were supposed to be chasing, and they chased after that person. The original person gets away. This is exactly what Christ has done with us. He has, he has exchanged outfits with us. 
He has, he has pulled this switch. He has given us his righteousness in exchange for our filthiness, for our sin. So that the wrath of God, which should have poured down upon us, poured down upon him instead. And so we are able to go free because we no longer have to be held accountable for our sin if we trust in Christ Jesus who has paid the penalty for our sin already. And this all because he is independently holy. Third, he is interceding in heaven. Verse 14 again in chapter 4 of Hebrews. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, it says. What it means when it says he passed through the heavens is that he, when he died, he rose again and he, he ultimately actually ascended into heaven and he is still there right now at the right hand of God. He is, he is actually in heaven in the very presence of God. Remember again in Leviticus, the idea of the high priest. He would once per year come into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, right? That's, that was his job. He would once per year spend time with God. But what we have in Jesus is a high priest who doesn't just one time per year come into the presence of God, but a high priest who forever resides permanently in the place of God. He is at his right hand right now. Hebrews 9.24 puts it this way, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so, you see, the, the fact that we can't see him with our own eyes, like the Old Testament people of God could see a high priest with their eyes, is actually not a negative, it's a positive. You see, it was nice for them to be able to see this high priest who every so often, once per year, went into the presence of God. But if we could still see our high priest, then that would mean he was not in the presence of God. But because Jesus is in the presence of God, he is able to make intercession for us in an ongoing nature, time after time, moment after moment. And he goes on and on and on, making intercession for us. One commentator put it this way, His righteousness represents you before God's throne and grants you access to the Father. His prayers plead for your sustenance and intercede on behalf of all your needs. What a wonderful promise that is. That he is before the Father making intercession for us. Even right now, even at this very moment as we talk about him, even this moment as we are worshiping Christ Jesus, he is before the throne of God making intercession for us. What a wonderful thing. And it's not on the basis of our goodness or our rightness that he's doing it. It's not like he said, well, look down there at Calvary Presbyterian Church, 6100 Richfield Road. There's a sanctuary full of really good people. I want to go tell God how good they are. No, not at all. We are sinners, each and every one of us. Sinners deserving damnation and nothing else. But Christ intercedes for us. He says, I have paid their price, Father. You cannot, you can not judge them because I have already been judged on their behalf. They are united to me in faith. They are mine. When you see them, you see me. 
What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. What love Christ has shown us when we have consistently shown him sin. When we consistently contemplate moment by moment turning away from him into our folly of sin. What grace, as we sang earlier, grace greater than all our sin. It is wonderful, marvelous, infinite grace. See, no matter how great your sin is, there's no way you can sin in a way that outreaches the grace of Christ Jesus. His grace is greater yet. You might be sitting here and say, Pete, you don't know me. You know, I, this first time I've shown up here and you just don't know me. I've got a lot of baggage. And I'm here to tell you that no matter how much baggage you have in your past, or even how much baggage you bring in here with you today, the grace of Christ Jesus is greater yet. And if you turn to him in faith, you will have the Father's love and forgiveness. And so we should hold fast to our confession. Our confession, not just some amorphous belief that God exists. That's fine. A lot of times people think that, well, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, I believe God exists. Well, as we're reminded in Scripture, even the demons believe that. And they shudder. See, our confession isn't just that God exists. Our confession is, I am a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. But Christ Jesus died for my sins. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And I have chosen to give my life to him, to follow him wherever he will lead me, out of appreciation for his great grace toward me. That is my confession. That is our confession. That is the biblical confession. And that is the confession to which we must hold. He is interceding for us in heaven. And so there's an impact about that. We, we, we should draw near to the throne of grace. We see in verse 16. We should do it with confidence that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. You see, because, because Jesus is a reliable source of mercy and grace. We can count on him. He cares about his people. He is willing. We, we just this last Wednesday night at our service talked about how Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem when he came in on the triumphal entry. And we see here too in today's text, in the days of his flesh, that is in the days that he was a human being walking the face of earth just like you and me, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. When I thought about that verse this week, it caused me to pause. Uh, where's, where is my prayer life in compa- comparison to that? Do I offer up prayers to God with loud cries and tears? Or are my prayers just kind of rote things god be with us bless this food take care of my kids amen no those are good prayers we should pray those things but our prayers should be more passionate than that they should be more deep than that we we should enter into the presence of god 
with confidence, drawing near to the throne of grace, asking for mercy to forgive us for our sins and grace for our time of need, grace to strengthen us for the things we need, grace to help us to walk with Christ Jesus in this world. For we are his people and he loves us and he longs to make intercession for us. As we see in Hebrews 7.25, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but it says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus intercedes for us, and so we can draw near to God. Finally, Jesus is infinitely able. Chapter 5, verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll come back to Melchizedek in a couple weeks. I don't want to get bogged down on him here today. But, but what we see here is that he is the perfect and eternal high priest. And so, so when we draw near to the throne of grace, we can do this with confidence. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Albeit humbly and joyfully, we can do so boldly. Confidently expecting him to receive us. And expecting great things from God we need to ask God to work in mighty ways Jesus says himself you do not have because you do not ask in Ephesians 3 Paul says beginning in verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May we expect much of God, knowing that he still can far exceed all our expectations. Let us pray big prayers. Let us pray huge prayers. Let's let's pray that people would be saved, that people would be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let's trust God that that would happen here in our midst. Not because I'm a great preacher and not because you're great Christians, but because he is a great God. Let us trust him for those things. Let's trust him that families might be added to this congregation, not so that we can thump our chest and say how great we are, but rather that he might be glorified all the more in our midst. Let us pray that churches would be planted and we would be a part of that throughout our community and throughout surrounding communities and throughout our state and throughout our nation and throughout the world so that God's kingdom may go forth and that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray that we would be a part of that. Let's pray that we would be a positive impact on our community and on our world so that he might be at work here, that there might be revival here in Flint and throughout the world. Richard Phillips says this in closing here. He says, this is the key to a good prayer life. I said, well, that caught my attention. I want to have a better prayer life. He says, know that we come before God 
clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, invited by his own saving ministry, purchased by his precious blood, and anticipated by his sympathetic intercession. What a wonderful truth that is, that we can, as we sang before, come before him, and he will not, he cannot say, go. But rather, he will receive us as we come to him in faith. And that he freely and faithfully gives more blessings than we can conceive. Let us trust God for that. Let us believe his promises. For we have a great high priest who was incarnate as man, independently holy, interceding for us now, and infinitely able. Please pray with me. Our Lord, we thank you for the great blessing we have in you. We thank you that we don't get what we deserve, but rather we get what your mercy and your grace so so generously is willing to give. And that is salvation through Christ Jesus. May that truth motivate us and inspire us and empower us to live for your glory in all situations and to trust you to work mightily as you have already worked mightily in us, pulling us out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light making us part of the very body of Christ, putting your spirit in us, indwelling us in such a way that we might be one with you and with each other. May we live that reality to the glory of your name for the sake of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise with me now and sing our closing hymn. It's printed in your bulletin, Before the Throne of God Above.